So not as common as today as it was years ago, but muscle building agents are still um, an issue in sport and still a thing that we discuss on in sport. And so a lot of times when we, we talk about muscle building agents, the first thing we think of is steroids. And so in this case, we're talking about adrogenic and anabolic steroids. And we're not talking about like steroids that we've talked about with anti-inflammatory medications uh, or anything like that. These are steroids that are truly designed for building muscle. Um, and so adrogenic steroids, for example, promote male sex traits, hair growth, deep voice, uh, increased muscle mass. But then we also have anabolic steroids, which these enhance uh, tissue metabolism. Um, so, for example, uh, testosterone. And we know that testosterone is, is a uh, sex-linked hormone that's found in both males and females, but obviously much higher quantities in males versus females. Um, it's uh, transported via a, a sex hormone binding globulin called uh, SHBG, uh, primarily in, for the females, or albumin for males. Um, and it moves freely and independently throughout the body. It has it just trace amounts in the body. It's not a, it's not a, a ton of it. Um, but then you start talking about these adrogenic and anabolic steroids. Um, sometimes you'll see them abbreviated as AAS. Um, so adrogenic and anabolic steroids have been used extensively throughout history um, as, as a way to just make people stronger, bigger, better, faster, right? Including even in World War II. Um, but they're grossly illegal. Um, and because they're illegal, there's not been a lot of studies done on them um, and, and how they enhance or, or change uh, performance in athletes. So because they're because of this, because they haven't been studied, because of all these horrible, awful side effects that they cause, we aren't even really 100% sure on the proper dosing protocol for these steroids. So when you see people or hear about people doing these dosing protocols, they're, they're truly proprietary. They are, they are um, created and um, formulated by people who claim to be quote-unquote experts. Um, but this is probably somebody just in their basement fooling around with this stuff or just claiming, claiming that they have the answer, the solution. And so you might hear something like cycling. You have to do so much of this dose for this long and then you cycle off of it and you reduce it over time or for this amount of time and then you cycle back on and off. And, but there's no hard concrete science that says that there's an appropriate dosing formula for these medications because they've not been studied to that effect because they are so dangerous. Um, so, so what we do know, again, there's not a lot of research, but what we do know is that there is increased strength from increased muscle protein synthesis. So a hypertrophy effect is happening as well as this increased number of um, muscle fibers or this hyperplasia is occurring. It does inhibit the catabolic effects of glucocorticoids. Um, so it's, it's um, um, also causing increased aggressive behavior tendencies, um, causing the individuals to become harder to train because they're more combative, they're more aggressive, um, and then there's this decrease in reflex latency in the muscles. So there's this faster polar repolarization. The muscles recover a little bit faster from a neurological perspective, essentially. Um, but we do also know that from an adverse perspective that steroids can cause long-term damage to organs, specifically talking about the liver with jaundice, uh, cyst developments, or even tumors. Uh, for the GI tract, if, if these steroids are being taken orally, which they don't normally are taken orally they're usually some kind of pre injection type of, of 
of um of administration but they can be taken orally so there's a lots of gi tract issues that can occur if that's the case and then um there's a high amount of lipoproteins that it can build up in the kidneys and cause kidney damage um females will start to develop male traits um that could be like the facial hair um deepening of the voice um and then there's also this impaired capillary function and so because there's this impaired function the blood flow to the body doesn't occur as nicely or as easily and this can lead to things like cardiovascular um events like cvas um which can be deadly um not to mention that steroids also have impurities again they're not they're illegal so no one's really no reputable manufacturer should be manufacturing these so they're made in homemade labs and whatnot uh, and so the amount of impurities uh, that can occur in them can be just horrific and because we don't know what these impurities are it's hard to say that these are the adverse effects but know that they can occur because of that as well we look at adverse effect, effects specific to males the the list is huge um oligospermia which is a low sperm count um or azoospermia which is a lack of sperm uh decrease in the testicular size which can also lead to a decrease in testosterone production can also occur uh, gynecomastia which is where female type breast enlargement occurs in males and this is non-reversible um, premature balding, severe acne, um, premature closure of growth plates if they're still growing. So if they're at that adolescent age, uh, they can have that short stature. Um, enlargement of the prostate, uh, decreased libido, impotence, glucose intolerance, insulin resistance, uh, ataxia, and then this increased risk for tendon rupture. And so again, with that increased tendon rupture, they're going to have to heal and the, the healing process is also going to be impaired with this, with, with these steroid uses. Um, on the other side of that, you look at females with steroid uses, again, that masculinization, that facial hair, the male pattern baldness, the deepening voice, um, and a large clitoris decrease in the breast size changes to the menstrual cycle, including among other things like an amenorrhea. All right, if we switch gears a little bit to human growth hormone or HGH. Um, so human growth hormone is a naturally occurring hormone that's released in the human body. It helps to maintain homeostasis. It's released by the pituitary gland, and it essentially helps to facilitate amino acid transports across cell membranes, uh, increases in RNA um, uh, cell into the cells, uh, and it can enhance protein synthesis in cells. So it does lots of good things. Um, it also helps to maintain blood glucose levels, facilitate glucose and amino acid uptake into the cells and assist in releasing fatty acid from the adipose cells. It can help to increase lean body mass, uh, decrease fat um, uh, in the body essentially, right? Uh, but it has, again, all these these adverse effects. If we've catch someone using it um, or, or exogenously sourcing it and increasing the amount that's present in the body, like acromegalia, hypertension, uh, cardiomyopathies, respiratory diseases, uh, diabetes, abnormal lipid, lipid metabolisms, um, osteoarthritis, certain cancers like colorectal cancers, the GI tract, breast cancers, uh, which breast cancer can occur both in males and females, so keep that in mind. Um, they're going to get that kind of that cone-shaped somatotype or that cone-shaped body, uh, as well as excessive sweating. Um, there are, let me just mention though too, that there are cases where HGH 
is also prescribed by a physician. This is usually in children of a growing age, so from birth through puberty. Um, if they've got metabolic diseases like failure to thrive, for example, where they're just not growing at the rate that they should be, these can be um, introduced to children, uh, adolescents. But again, they're under very strict observation with these with this HGH, and this is not something that we typically see with being prescribed in adults. Um, uh, dihydroepiandosterone or DHEA. Um, it's a pre-hormone, which means it's a precursor to a hormone. It helps to uh, manufacture other hormones. Um, and in this case, we're talking about it's a precursor to both male and female sex hormones. So testosterone, estrogen, uh, proestrogen, and things like that. Um, it can increase levels of um, endosterostal as well as testosterone. Um, and it also reduces the effects of certain glucocorticosteroids, which can reduce um, some of the effects of stress in the body. So it could potentially, in theory, it's thought that it has these kind of anti-aging effects. Um, but that is a theory. It has not been studied by any means to the extent that it needs to be studied before that can even be claimed. Um, but commercially speaking, nowadays, it is available as a supplement. It is produced by the adrenal gland. It has a very complex mechanism of action uh, that we don't fully understand. Um, and we don't, are not going to get into what we do understand for, for the purposes of, of this course. But, but do know that it's, it's grossly misunderstood and not really and well studied. And, but it's basically flat out banned by you know, the IOC, um, the IPC, the NCAA, um, USADA, WADA, all those groups. So... Uh, all right, beta-hydroxy-beta-methylbutyrate, or HMB. It's an amino acid that's used to synthesize cholesterol. Uh, and it's produced from one of the amino acids, leucine. And it's thought to have this catabolic effect in humans where it decreases damage, uh, muscle damage during activity, and it thus promotes this faster uh, recovery or healing from, from this damage. Uh, but there's not been a lot of scientific evidence to support these claims. Um, research that has been done doesn't really suggest that it works. Um, and again, because it's not been grossly studied, it's, it's not well understood and, and we don't really have a great understanding of the adverse effects um, of, of what it can do to the body short and long term. Um, another one, you've probably heard of this one, creatine. Uh, creatine assists with the rephosphorylation process of turning that ADP back into ATP. So remember that when we're using um, Energy in the body, our primary primary energy source is that ATP or adenosine triphosphate. And so when we eject that one phosphate group off of ATP, that release of that phosphate group releases energy that we can utilize in the body. And that ATP, again, adenosine triphosphate becomes adenosine diphosphate. Um, and then later on, we can go through the process to reintroduce a phosphate group back to ADP to make it ATP again. But creatine is supposed to help with that rephosphorylation process of converting that ADP back into ATP. So we can reintroduce it into things like um, the Krebs cycle, for example. Um, athletes who require short bursts of anaerobic power, in theory, would benefit from creatine. Um, there's a little bit more evidence that's supportive of that than what we've kind of discussed with some of these other agents up to this point. But again, it's not super concrete evidence. Um, uh, 
when it's consumed, it's essentially broken down by the liver and it's taken into the skeletal muscles where it's, where it's stored as a phosphocreatine or PCR. And this PCR becomes the donor for that phosphate rephosphorylation process. So that's where that, that phosphate group gets reintroduced from to the ADP to make it ATP. Uh, it also, in theory, acts as a buffer to help maintain pH level balances uh, since many of the hydrogens are le released from ATP during hydrolysis. Um, again, not well understood or studied, but that's the theory. So what does it do for the body? It helps to increase body weight and fat and, and the total fat-free mass. Um, it helps to uh, increase uh, availability and transportability when it's mixed with fruit juices, like a grapefruit juice, for example. Um, and it should be started with a, a loading phase, meaning you're going you're gonna to supersaturate the system with a heavy dose and then taper down. So you might start with something like 20 grams for like the first week, seven days, and then taper it down to five grams like every day, and then maybe even like an every other day kind of thing after that. Um, so who is going to benefit from this the most? It's going to be those patients or those athletes who are going to require those rapid, quick, bursts of energy um, and then there's also thought that maybe some of those with physical disabilities or aging personnel might also uh, benefit from it as well uh, but long-term effects adverse effects kidney damage and fluid retention are up there muscle cramping uh, could be another potential side effect as well as some gi uh, issues like upset stomach and diarrhea um, last one, androendosterone or andro. It's a uh, precursor, an, a, a testosterone or estrogen precursor that's produced by the adrenal gland or the ovaries. Um, it's converted to testosterone and estrogen, but sport benefits aren't really solidly founded in science. They're kind of questionable. It's not been really proven to produce increases in muscle mass or protein synthesis. Um, you won't really see this a lot from a sport perspective because there really just isn't a great correlation between andro and, and sport performance. And, it, and it's, I mean, it's also flat out banned by all those groups again, IOC, NCAA, the NFL. Um, and then, you know, we're worried significantly about liver and cardiovascular risks.